First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. In five, four, three, two. Brooklyn Calling, Brooklyn Calling, it's Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm joined here by everybody I know. Steve Jeffries. Andy Palmer. Yogi Poyle. But uh, so New York City real estate billionaires, and I think the way we're going to divide this is essentially on uh, this, the free side. We're going to talk about, you know, general, you know, Brooklyn, Bushwick landlords. Like, you know, we, we're going to talk about the people who really benefit from the podcast boom. All right. You know, the people who actually own the property that the podcasters live in. And then on the premium side, we're going to talk about Stephen Ross, which is more like uh, luxury development, like what's going on with Hud- Hudson Yards, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that'll give you a pretty good overview of essentially what's going on with New York City real estate. And um, and I guess we should just kind of start this by mentioning that there's over 89,000 uh, homeless people in New York. Uh, and the amount of people who are evicted. Yeah, no, that's really sad. But here's something important. So uh, on the last free episode, I said uh, we're going to do a poll yes. uh, about the drops. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so far, uh, I mean, I haven't read all the responses, but... <laughs> Uh, the one I did read said, uh, drops are good, but don't do any more Mario impressions. That's right. <laughs> I heard that. I saw that too. <laughs> Until we can get the accent right. And I just want to say, while I appreciate your opinion, we were trying to do Jewish Mario. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's our cop out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we weren't trying to go like pure Mario. Well, let's hear your we pure We were trying Mario. to do chosen Mario. Just just so the <laughs> listeners know that we can do a pure Mario. You got a pure Mario for us, Andy? Wow! <laughs> Well, I think we've lost that fan for for life. I think that's what's going on now. Oh shit! Just, He's a Patreon fan too. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to imagine how angry that person would be if we had left in the other 20 minutes of Mario impressions. <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't know it was about an hour of Mario impressions that we had to cut back for but, you, the listener. That's actually how we talk to each other when we're not recording. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and it is, well, I guess we should just mention, you know, we do the drops, I think as a service to our listeners to keep the podcast from going mainstream, <laughs> to, <laughs> to limit our popularity, because I was thinking about this today. That's what like, I was foreshadowing with right. the clash. Well, I was thinking, uh, <laughs> we're punk rock. Yeah. You know, like when I was doing stand up comedy in Seattle, you know, Mark Marin came out and he like recorded his album Final Engagement, which right. I think is a funny album. And he did it to like a half full room. You That's know, nobody, mean. nobody knew who he was. And then, of course, he has the podcast and he becomes successful. And it's like as a fan, part of you is like, I'm so happy for that guy. He was so talented. You know, I'm glad he got some success. But then the other half of you is like. Why are there so many fucking ad reads on this podcast now? <laughs> like, yeah, tell another story about your cat, asshole. I don't care. <laughs> Why don't you drown them so that you have some sort of story that's interesting, you know? Sean, just because you and Mark Maron performed at Giggles to half-filled <laughs> audiences doesn't mean you're going to be the new Mark Maron, okay? I think you're being a bit generous to Sean's audiences. <laughs> But I'm just saying, you know, maybe among some of our fans, there's some concern that if we get, you know, like true mainstream success. I don't think anyone's concerned about that. (laughs) (laughs) We might become some sort of blowhards or or not have the the engagement that we currently have with our wonderful fan base. And uh, we just want to assure you that you are right. 
my, my wife. So that's why we have Andy on the drops. My, my, my wife. On days where he did not take his medication. My, my wife. My Just wife. Really destroy the informational content and the engagement <laughs> that drives this broadcast. We all take turns not taking our medication. <laughs> my wife. And having to turn on drops. Listen, as our listeners should know, one day a billionaire class and their lawyers will be listening to this show. And if we don't subjugate them to the purest of the purest trash, my wife, how are we going to win the war against the elite, ladies and gentlemen? How? Now, this podcast is on the way up. We're uh, 10 minutes into the episode and we haven't even said who it's about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What I like is that we've been doing this so long that we have a drop of Jeff Bezos saying, my wife, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have one anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But he did when we started. My wife. That's the power of the show, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Grub stakers, breaking up relationships and billionaire classes (laughs) since 2018. But so, as we kind of mentioned here, uh, uh, this side, uh, we want to talk about uh, a company called A&E Real Estate. A&E Real Estate is or it's called A&E Properties, not, not to be confused with the place where you can find censored episodes of The Sopranos. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. <laughs> uh, A&E uh, Properties is, according to The Real Deal, as of 2016, it's New York City's fifth largest uh, landlord. They own over 117, up to like 200 by another estimate, uh, somewhere in that range, different different buildings right. with over 8,832 residential units. Wow. That's as of 2016, and that's a minimum estimate based on public records. Now, before we continue with that, I yeah. do want you to finish your point about the 89,000 homeless people in New yes. York City. Well, yeah, I was just saying like... Uh, when we talk about housing in New York City, we should start with that fact. There's 89,000 at least homeless people here. And then the number of people... That's who weird because you don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> the number of people who are evicted every day, depending on your estimate, uh, New York City DSA said it was 100 every day, but I found a guy who's a TED fellow named Yale Fox. He estimates 260,000, or no, 206,000 evictions every year, which would be 564 people evicted every day. And... Just to add another crazy stat to that, mm-hmm. um, there's, according to Ocasio-Cortez, there's mm. three vacant u- housing units for every single homeless person. Wow. In New York City. Yeah, I and mean... The, and it checks out on PolitiFact. Look it up. Yeah, but... Uh, well, well, they're just waiting for that market rate to go up. <laughs> That's just smart business. <laughs> but yeah, I think we've probably all seen an eviction taking place at some time. Right? Oh, yeah. I know I have. Like, well, no, really, just walking around Brooklyn, like, you'll occasionally see, like, three or four police officers. No, I have those. And, like, like, uh, sometimes they wear, like, literal riot gear. Really? Yeah. Like, they have a shield and everything while they're evicting somebody. Disgusting. Now, Steve, you say there are three vacant apartments for every homeless person, but where else are those Chinese Communist Party officials (laughs) going to park their bribe money? (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, it is just something where, uh, oh yeah, and by one estimate, uh, a conservative estimate, every eviction costs like $5,000 as far as court fees and all that stuff. Whoa, the so, rich staying rich costs the poor money? And you know, this is like uh, $1.03 billion a year from DNA Info. It was paid by the taxpayers just to evict people and throw people out on the street when we have all these homeless people. And, and you know, so... You want to know something crazy I was reading? Yeah. yeah. There is a both a rising fascist and socialist <laughs> movement in the United States. What? what? You know, I bet I bet it's Tucker Carlson that's driving <laughs> that. Um, but so when we talk about 
uh, A&E real estate. A&E real estate, I wanted to start there. I'm sorry, A&E properties. It goes by different names. But I wanted to start there because we mentioned it's the fifth largest landlord in New York. Uh, but it's also a recent entry. They only existed since 2011, and their strategy for becoming the largest, fifth largest landlord in New York has been um, essentially buying up units that have either rent-stabilized sa- or rent-control tenants and um, illegally jacking up their rent right. or kicking them out or using various shady tactics to, to get them out. And uh, so I should probably say the names here of the billionaires on this episode because there's four of them. Uh, because essentially A&E Real Estate was founded by the children of two other real estate billionaires. Surprise, surprise. The father, John Arilaga Sr., uh, his son, John Arilaga Jr., the father, Philip Eisenberg, his son, Douglas Eisenberg. Four different billionaires we're covering today. Apple Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and they all ride a white horse, a red horse, a black horse, and a pale horse. But I, but I think, like, just kind of my central... <laughs> <laughs> it's a four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it. It took me a second. <laughs> I, I think my central point today is essentially um, fail sons and daughters get too much of a bad rap. <laughs> because essentially, if you just, like, inherit a bunch of money and then just, like, sit on your ass and, like, smoke weed and post on Instagram, like, you're not really hurting that many people. And if anything, you're actually propaganda against capitalism. You, because people can point at you and say, oh, they don't do anything for their money. Right, right. But the people who actually like go into the family business and are like, hey, how do we get these rent-stabilized people out of Harlem? Because I don't want to be a fail son. I right, want to be the right. guy who like builds my own real estate empire. They're the ones who do the most damage. And that's why you never make father proud. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Shout out to all the uh, children of billionaires whose parents are very ashamed of them. Uh, we recognize you, and we think you get an unfair rap in the left community. That's why I never went on the offensive against Wyatt Coke. <laughs> I was like, he's he he's drawing shirts. Exactly. <laughs> he's coloring. You Good know, on him. You're right. We did bully that poor fat man, and his <laughs> kind of uh, man is kind of generous. Man child. Uh, yeah, big boy. His kind of entry-level design taste. <laughs> his fucking, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, word- let's not fat shame him either. <laughs> hey, I know this question's a little vague, but what industry do you think is dirtier, real estate or show business? Real estate. Real estate. Well, all right. The, the votes are unanimous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like there's a lot of overlap because essentially like people who get family money doing really horrible shady shit inevitably their children go into show business right you know because right, it's yeah. like who can afford to sit around and fucking write packets or write a screenplay or yeah, a book like, or uh you know film act f- film movie stars aren't sending fascist goons in true true body yeah. armor to to force people out of their homes so well some some are i mean like but, yeah I, I i don't think i'd make a case against uh, or I, I don't think I'd make a, a case I mean, yeah, for show business being worse than real estate, except for the notion of the propaganda like show business pro- proliferates. But that's neither here nor there. Real estate directly uh, is liter- uh, bankrupting individuals and literally stealing the roofs over their heads mm-hmm. to benefit people who have enough money and as many roofs over their head that, as they've ever wanted. And Weinstein literally was sending fascist goons. Uh yeah, attack well, people he raped. I'm not gonna say there's not overlap. <laughs> no, of course, right, right. That's why I asked the question because I just yeah. figured it. Like, I mean, they're both clearly dirty, but um, 
it seems to me, I mean, especially because our uh, lovely president comes from a real estate empire as well, that uh, the real estate... show business. Uh-huh. That's right. So it's like, you know, the two trees of uh, the death of the world are real estate and show business. Someone should do a podcast about that guy. (laughs) Nah, too soon. You know what Wyatt Coke's shirt styles remind me of? Uh, Default WordPress templates. (laughs) (laughs) Got some real uh, just above GeoCities energy there, I think. I think so. The default WordPress templates aren't that bad. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm being unfair to them. And we're being unfair to, to Wyatt Coke. But, uh, but so I guess that's kind of my point here. And so, you know, there's a lot of different places we could start this, but it should be mentioned, you know, why we're kind of talking about New York real estate is that right now the New York State Legislature mm-hmm. is debating a bunch of bills, including like good cause eviction and some other things that are being pushed uh, by New York City DSA and other housing organizations. Right. And it should just be noted that the Albany uh, New York State Legislature session ends June 19th. So mm-hmm. if these bills are to are to occur, obviously developers are fighting very hard against them, and uh, there will either be movement or not movement there the, uh, by June uh, June nineteenth. So mm-hmm. it's just something to keep an eye on, and um, and I guess we can talk more about those bills if you want to, or we can circle back to it. No, it's not me. So like, right now there's nine different bills. Um, well, before that, um, can we can we afford a Destiny's Child drop? Do you think? <laughs> Well, we can't afford any of them, but we can right, try I'll it. hold off for now. Uh, the, the rent control laws are set to expire unless they re-up them. Uh, mm-hmm. Thankfully, that is obvi- that's absolutely going to happen. But there's actually seven additional bills, nine total, one of which is um, to make it so you can only get evicted under good cause reasons like the the landlord can no longer just evict you because they you can't afford the rent that they raised more than 20 percent or something like that so you have to have actually just like flagrantly violated you know the building code or something that's the uh why is grub stakers recorded in a different apartment now bill (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so it um the big news right now is the new york state senate uh, announced they do have a, like a progressive coalition that mm. can pass all nine. And so they plan to do that and send it to the assembly. Mm-hmm. The assembly is controlled by uh, the speaker, Carl Heasty. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on record as supporting all of these things, but only in previous years when there was no chance of doing it. Mm-hmm. And so now he's kind of like dragging his feet on it because he doesn't, he wanted to actually present himself right, as right. a progressive champion. <laughs> he's like, oh shit, now it could actually happen. Ah, shit. I have to actually you know, make good on these <laughs> things. Yeah, but um, this is this is still the, it's still largely the assembly that um, summarily passed single-payer health act for New York oh, really? for like six years running now, I huh. think. Um Again, because largely because they didn't think it would ever right, happen. Right, right. But um, the situation has improved there. That's and good. So it's actually a lot of good news right now, a lot of good energy. Well, so and uh, there was a story in Gothamist, which essentially said A&E um, and I think Blackstone uh, and uh, one other major landlord player um, was meeting with housing advocates back in March 2019 to essentially just try to come to a compromise to avoid, like, good cause eviction. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, very clearly, you know, if the developers are sitting down with the housing advocates, they're very nervous that something serious could happen to disrupt their bottom line. So we'll um, we'll, we'll see if, if anything comes, and maybe we'll follow up on it. But uh, for now, we just kind of got to cross our fingers. 
And um, now I read that these nine bills uh, were written by Dante. They are limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, <laughs> anger, hearsay, violence, fraud, and lastly treachery into the center of hell, which is Hudson Yards. That's what I heard. Bob Dole. <laughs> <laughs> What's, it, what's the name of that structure that's in the middle of Hudson Yards? It's uh, not technically named, but it's now being called the Vessel. The hmm. Vessel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we that's will, like the center of hell. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> we, we will be discussing the Vessel and many more Hudson Yards things on our Patreon episode under the paywall. I like to think that As eventually... Teaser, I, I had assumed its name was uh, Multiple Dead Construction Workers. <laughs> I like to think at one point we'll do a drop and it's like, instead of Boomer Lives, it's just, the drops live! <laughs> Did you know that the seven deadly sins are one of the most powerful caucuses in the New York State <laughs> Legislature? <laughs> I mean, a few of them got voted out last time around. Yeah. Um, yeah, they'll come back in. <laughs> yeah, it's a great anime too. By the way. <laughs> Gluttony was briefly shut down by the health department because they did, they didn't pay their bribes. <laughs> Got too greedy. Yeah, um, but so I guess uh, we'll we'll kind of talk about A and E real estate and and these four billionaires we mentioned. Uh, maybe we'll truncate the biography a bit, just because partly because there's not as much information, but partly because it's like. I want to kind of focus on essentially the abuses here. Of course. Something that I wanted to start with is essentially this article from The Real Deal, which is a real estate um, uh, website, newspaper, magazine. Uh, the Real Deal wrote in June 2016, uh, one of the more, uh, let's say, chilling articles I've read in my life called An Insider's Guide to Evicting Rent-Stabilized Tenants. <laughs> wow. And... Um, and so we kind of mentioned here a &E Properties and uh, some of these other major landlords. What happened was in the 70s and 80s, there was a major affordable housing building boom in New York, uh, primarily fueled by, you know, 421A, uh, a property tax exemption. Um, and what was that called again? 421A. No, no, before that. What, what, what was it? What kind of boom? Uh, affordable housing boom. Affordable housing building boom? Yes. Would you, could you say that again? Affordable housing building boom. Now, could you say it five times fast? <laughs> I like how people are already complaining the episodes are too long. <laughs> um, but yes, there That's was... okay. <laughs> uh, so yes, what happened was, you know, uh, people might know the story. Um, there was, in New York and other cities, flight to the suburbs in the 60s, 50s, 70s. So what New York and other places did was they said, hey, we will give you giant property tax exemptions to build affordable ha housing in New York, in the city itself, and, you know, you don't have to pay taxes, and then the feds do the Section 8, so now people get help with their rent. So there's there's this affordable housing boom in the 70s, but now we're back up to today, and what's happened today is... Punk uh, rock has been ruined. <laughs> yes. Suburban flight has been reversed, and now everybody wants to live in New York. So you have all these affordable housing buildings from, like, the 70s and the 80s that were built with all these property tax exemptions, but you suddenly have all these, you know, Bushwick gentrifiers who want to, to live in them. So if you're a real estate... Um, developer. Now, where did you first move when you got to New York, Sean? <laughs> hey, you keep saying suburban flight. You mean yeah. white flight, right? Yes. Yeah, all right. Yes. Mm -hmm. But this is a class-first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yes. Yeah, so suburban flight sounds like a flight to Pasadena. <laughs> <laughs> this is a scheduled flight. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. It's a NYU improv group. <laughs> This is white return. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, the you they're know. like it's, they just collectively went. It's safe now. 
part of it was also that like after World War II and the GI Bill, uh, they, there was kind of a project where they're like, oh, we don't want all these um, like former soldiers kind of bunched up together in the cities. And so they kind of pushed people into home ownership to kind of disperse it, right. mm-hmm. um, to kind of water down potential uh, like class unity and that sort of thing. Armed insurrection. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it turns out when you have a, a lot of... Um, people that know how to use a gun and fight together. Yeah, a lot of like former soldiers. Uh, they, they'd seen in other places that they had been recently that when you have a lot of like uh, veterans who end up in economic dire straits, uh, strange things tend to happen. Yeah, they... Uh, anyway, it's the 75th anniversary of D-Day. <laughs> they could have killed the American Rosa Luxemburg. <laughs> These fucking PTSD veterans coming home from war. Uh, yeah, they didn't want to contra- concentrate them in the cities. Um, and so, you know, there's a variety of reasons. But essentially, what I was talking about with A&E Properties is, and these other similar developers is like, okay, so now you have this building built in the 70s or 80s that's full of, you know, rent-stabilized or rent-regulated tenants. So how do you make money on it? Well, you giant, do a giant overpay for the building that only makes sense if you're somehow going to get rid of these rent-regulated, right, rent-stabilized right. tenants. So recently, how to get rid of those tenants has been a big, especially in, since the 2000s uh, going up to today, it's been a big uh, concern of landlords, and they've deployed a bunch of different tactics, which brings us to an insider's guide to evicting rent-stabilized <laughs> tenants. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'll just start from the beginning. Uh, careful when you go outside or some tenant group will bust you. A young real estate professional with a Gordon Gecko-esque hairstyle <laughs> joked inside the men's room. Bazinga. <laughs> they don't have to, a colleague fired back. They've got de Blasio. Oh, wow. And they're, of course, saying the mayor, Bill de Blasio, is a uh, famous tenants' rights activist, which is why he's... Um, signed all those uh, deals with developers to uh, give them massive city subsidies to continue buying uh, rent-stabilized mm-hmm. $1 for 100 years uh, rent for the Brooklyn Armory to turn it into condos. <laughs> Supporting the Amazon deal. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing Sean is mentioning is like the reason why the billionaire class has taken hold of the real estate market. The only way that you can potentially profit from this is to hold onto it long enough to where the land value and the areas around it are gentrified to a point to where somebody's willing to pay more for it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And to do that, you have to do it at a massive loss. And Hence um, all of the vacant buildings. Mm-hmm. Yes. Precisely. And, yeah, I mean, so much of so much of home prices are just environmental. Mm-hmm. They essentially have an option value. Oh, really? So it's not as easy of a story as supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Whatever the vacancy rate is, that's pretty much like your, your weather vane on whether home prices will rise or fall. It's not that simple. Hmm. So you have, a lot of, you have a lot of things to consider, such as what City Hall is doing. Right, right. Now, wait a minute, Stephen. I watched a video by this guy named John Stossel, <laughs> and he interviewed a developer. <laughs> and this developer seemed to believe that uh, just letting them build more would fix the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I was convinced. Yeah, no, I think I heard something like that on Reddit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so just continuing from the article, um, oh yeah, they tell the jokes, the article continues. Such was the mood after Michelle Murato uh, Itkowitz, a well-known landlord attorney, concluded an extraordinary speech titled Tenant Buyouts, The Next Generation. Uh, <laughs> at, you know, I, I prefer Tenant Buyouts Deep Space Nine, but <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> Uh, at Terra CRG's Only Brooklyn Real Estate Summit Wednesday. 
Uh, and then it says the lecture centered on strategies for how to quote detenet occupied a search, a search for peace. <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, they originally were going to write out the main landlord and tenant buyouts the next generation, uh, and they <laughs> they they had him be assimilated by a tenant group. But but then in between seasons they were able to work out the contract, so <laughs> so they rescued him. And that's okay. <laughs> But uh, so it says the lecture centers on strategies for how to, quote, detenant occupied re and rent stabilized buildings. Um, and then it says the uh, way they say detenant, <laughs> it sounds like you're like, OK, so in the bottom of your apartment complex, you want to set up what looks like showers. <laughs> they just look like showers. They look like showers. Um, also, it's very important that they're soundproofed hmm. as much as possible. because There's going to be a lot of screaming. Hmm. A lot of a lot of death metal going on down there. I'm presuming. Yeah, death metal. <laughs> <laughs> there is some metal. Yeah. Here is some. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to talk about how to detenant using what we call incendiary devices. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like tenants are a pest. <laughs> yeah, we got to detenant <laughs> the place down. Let's, uh, put a put a tarp up. Uh, gas the place. Call it good. That's what the Royal Air Force did on Dresden. Oh my God. <laughs> they were detenanting it for uh, luxury developers. <laughs> That's the World War II scandal they don't tell you about, is they were doing those fire bombings to clear out the tenants yeah. so that those neighborhoods could be gentrified. Yeah, but the Art techno scene now. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody talks about all that money <laughs> Arthur Harris took from the developers. Um, but so, yeah, and so... Uh, uh, Itkowitz began with some corny attempts at hipster jokes about urban outfitters in Williamsburg. Oh, man. Including this, Jim. Quote, why do hipsters like ice in their drinks so much? Why? Because ice was water before it was cool. Oh. And, uh, I wish I could say that I, I have never bombed in Williamsburg. <laughs> but I have to say <laughs> that uh, this ice is cool joke, man. <laughs> Pretty piss poor, if you know what I mean. Pretty piss poor. See, the, the joke is funny because uh, hipsters live in the places that uh, people who used to live there now have to live in Camden, New Jersey. <laughs> if not further out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know... So wait, they still like the... They like the ice now that it's even more cool? Yes. But wouldn't they just yeah. like the ice before no, it's Andy's cool? No, Andy's right about this. Because yeah, they would speaking, like the water. Right, yeah, because speaking from purely physics... Ice that is cooler would just be th thicker ice. Yeah, yeah. Like, wouldn't you say, you know why hipsters like water? Because they like ice before it's cool. You know, Andy, you and I, uh, moderately professional comedians, are really doing a great job <laughs> taking down this joke. I'm more just distressed that these developers clearly don't understand the demographic they're selling to. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, it's like, the, the joke is, why did the hipster burn the roof of his mouth? Why? Because he ate the pizza before it was cool. That's I mean, that is a slightly better joke, Andy. I'm not saying that if Sean said that earlier, I would have been like, "Ooh, good joke," but better no. than that ice cool nonsense. Yeah, no, this I, I'm just this developer needs a writer, and uh, and they should hey, hire us. And I'm sick of my job. Yeah, hey, so. So, hey, sorry, you guys. Andy left the podcast. He's going to uh, punch up jokes for the <laughs> scum of the earth. I didn't say I was going to write for Fallon. Are you going <laughs> to headline the next real estate developer <laughs> conference? <laughs> No, but I'm going to write for the guy who is. <laughs> Andy's punch-up notes are just other drops. <laughs> be a corporate comedian for real estate. Okay, now um, 
You want to work on something about the Holocaust. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, make it more general. Like, make it about genocide. You don't want to sound too much like Sean. Here's my impression of the rent-stabilized tenants in your buildings. There's lead paint in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Andy's just killing for like an hour. (laughs) He's like the Chris Rock of real estate conventions. Oh, my child's deformed because of the water. (laughs) You guys ever notice when you detented a building? (laughs) Not only do you have to repaint. How many of y'all love detenting a building? (laughs) You haven't noticed white landlords detented like this? <laughs> but black landlords, black landlords be like, just get the fuck out of here. Just get the fuck out of here. It's more efficient. Um, excuse me, could you please move out next month? I'm a white landlord. You know, there's two kinds of rent stabilized tenants. Uh. <laughs> Oh my god (laughs) I hope we can even get to the bio here (laughs) But this article Oh man Uh so the so the uh, Itkowitz, the the landlord attorney, she continues. She says things have changed in the last three years. She's speaking in 2016, and she says tenants understand implicitly, implicitly, even if they live under a rock, that there is value for their rent stabilized apartments. It's not a secret anymore. And so essentially, she's talking about how recently tenants have been organizing into tenant associations, uh, you know, contacting lawyers, filing lawsuits, all these other different tactics. Um, so. Essentially, tactics that landlords were using, they have to adapt because they would be doing shit like harassing people, um, <clears throat> taking people's front doors off, you know, to wow. try and get them out. And, you know, she's essentially saying these kinds of things don't work anymore. Um, Wait, so she's saying they can't take that even if you she, take someone's door off, they're like, yeah, but the schools are good. No, she, well, she's encouraging people not to do that because it is illegal, unsurprisingly. Right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Essentially, uh, she's like, hey, you know how we used to be the mob? <laughs> yeah, cut that out. Because uh, we, we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Yeah, and so she's tell- she's discouraging the uh, use of over-frequent buyout soliciting, as well as, quote, the use of physical force, unquote. <laughs> which, uh, you know, I mean, it's nice that they've adapted enough that they are now being encouraged to not uh, do that. Um, but so she says anything not nice could be harassment. And a landlord was just arrested for that. And that's a reference Aww. to Steve Crowman. Who uh, was whose activities included hiring an ex-cop to intimidate renters and exposing tenants to lead-tainted dust 65 times above the legal limit. Uh, he was sued by the New York Attorney General at the time, Eric Schneiderman. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes. An ex-cop committed a crime, Sean, <laughs> in New York City? And they figured out that the lead dust was 65 times the amount more. What, did he have like a fan with just like... (laughs) Right, right, right. Or he just had a chunk of lead and a cheese grater over it. (laughs) (laughs) And was just running it into the ducks. Okay, do it 65 times. I'm counting. (laughs) 40 times? No, no. No, no, no. I got a great heart. (laughs) Not 70. We can't afford it. 65. He takes out his baton and then dips it in a bucket marked lead. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then just starts wailing on the tennis. (laughs) Um, but so she says beyond direct uh, harassment a lot of landlords come to her wanting to engage in like frivolous litigation like they'll come to her and say like what what can I do to sue these people 
And so she's saying, like, if you're asking me that, probably not much. <laughs> Essentially, landlords are, like, trying to find frivolous lawsuits. And she's saying, no, frivolous lawsuits can also be considered harassment under the law. So it is illegal for tenants to, um, to or for landlords to harass tenants with frivolous lawsuits or, you know, bothering them and these sorts of things. Still happens, but it is illegal. But so essentially what she says, and this is 2016, she says, now let's talk about something that actually moves tenants out of the way if you have to get to that point. Uh, you know, she, there was a news item a few years ago about a landlord who was found murdered in a dumpster. And it's kind of alarming that they're not, they, they asked, how do we not be the guy who gets arrested? But not enough of them are asking, how do we not become that guy who was murdered <laughs> in the dumpster? <laughs> uh, Mike Racine of the Sit Down Podcast had a joke. Um, just leave him there as a message to the others. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, as reactionary as um, uh, the uh, New York Post is, mm-hmm. um, they got a lot of undue shit for their headline, uh, who didn't want him dead. <laughs> <laughs> what year was that when that happened? It was like 2014 or hmm. something. Gotcha. Hmm. Um, but so, yeah, the, the lawyer continues. Now, let's talk about something that actually moves tenants out of the way, if you have to get to that point. Um, she said, transitioning from the don'ts to the do's. Quote, demolition eviction, page 23. And she's referencing a pamphlet that she gave out for her speech. Um, and then again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Page 23 is a pamphlet? Well, a, a booklet. A, yeah, all right, okay, yeah. Clearly, these are real estate yes. developers. I assume they're paying her a lot of money. Sure, for sure. This. I'm she just can, saying. She can get a, 30 pages yeah. printed. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's no such thing as a 23-page pamphlet. That's just not. You are correct. I, I'm apologizing. It was more of a zine. <laughs> <laughs> DIY space fucking <laughs> evictions. <laughs> like, yeah, we uh we handmade the tools we used to do construction <laughs> next door. Yeah, we just just kind of do construction at all hours to annoy them and make them leave. This is all fair trade. So. <laughs> you know, you know how where I got the space to make this zine? Yeah. Huh? Uh I evicted someone. Yeah, now I've got your attention. Yeah, the uh, the the rat infestation we're allowing to grow. Uh, we're feeding them an all vegan diet. <laughs> Fair and balanced. Yeah. Um, okay. So she talks about uh, demolition eviction, and uh, from um, the the real deal, uh, a line in the rent stabilization law allows landlords to deny tenants renewals on leases at stabilized apartments if the landlord can show the state they have approved new building plans, the money to complete them, and agree to pay tenants to relocate relocation expenses in a stipend. Uh, currently, many landlords try to evict tenants and clear out a building before proceeding with the demolition and development plan, she said. But if landlords would just bite the bullet and get it all filed up front, they'd have an easier time getting the tenants out. Uh, so you can do, uh, that got the audience talking. So you can do demolition eviction and then evict the tenants, then not demolish the building, quote, asked one man in the audience. There's nothing in there I can see that penalizes you for not demolishing the building. Uh, Itkowitz replied. This bait-and-switch technique is probably fair game, excepting that a, quote, nasty person with a grudge tried to take you to court over it after the fact, she said. This actually is what happened to me. I previously, before I lived in where I currently live, uh, the uh, landlord, a month before I was going to renew my lease, was like, we need to work on the apartment. And I was like, all right, go ahead and work on it. I don't give a shit. And they're like, no, 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 we need you out. And I was like, why? Have I, have I been a bad tenant? They're like, no, you've been great, but we just need you gone, <laughs> essentially. 
And I mean, like... For those who haven't been in Yogi's apartment, it was a new apartment. Like, it was nice. Right. And, like, you know, nothing against... I could afford the apartment, so it wasn't like they're like, "Get the fuck out! We're gonna, we, you can't, you can't pay our new rent rates." And I even was so because I like, um, I probably pulled a bad move, but I was like, "I don't care what you're trying to pull here. I want to live here." And they were like, "No, we need, we need the space." They kept saying that, and in the long run, I probably could have fought it and won. But then I was thinking about like, well, then if I have trouble with my apartment, I've got a you know management company that now hates me. Yep. So. You know, the the it's I'm damned if I do, I'm damned if I don't in that situation. And and like I'm saying, you can probably fight it and win. I do know several other people who have had similar situations and they uh, argued their way past it. And I probably could have, but I just got to a point where I was like, listen, if my toilet breaks and they're like, sorry, see you in two weeks, I'm not gonna not shit in my apartment for two weeks. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It so it became a dire well, you situation. Had a balcony. I could have chat off the edge. That's true. Yeah, I mean, but this type of fucking horse shit is the legal loopholes uh, landlords are pulling in New York to kick tenants out. They're like, Yogi, we need you out because we know you're going to record an episode about us in a year. (laughs) (laughs) I think, though, like, if they evict you, uh, if if they do a demolition eviction, I think it should be in the law books that you can implode your building. (laughs) (laughs) You should be able to start early. Yeah. Yeah, they and, you know, should you if, get paid to help them. They have to give you uh, one month notice and a sledgehammer. <laughs> Did you know for no reason at all, tenants used to light their buildings in the Bronx on fire? <laughs> <laughs> I did when I left. I took uh, the highest like cupboard I had, and I taped the keys on the top of it. Mm-hmm. Then when they're like, hey, where are the keys? I was like, oh, I put them in a shelf. <laughs> 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 you have to find them, but they're in there. <laughs> Uh, uh, one last time from Itkowitz, uh, the lawyer Andy will be head writing for soon. Uh, she says, quote, I like demolition eviction and I'd like and I just like to see people do more of it, unquote, <laughs> instead of frivolous and sneaky tactics that lead nowhere. I don't understand why more landlords aren't doing it. Um, and she she uh, the last line of this article is she says, I can't help you with lies, but there's enough tools in the truth. Man, what pieces of shit. So this land- is a person that lives in New York. Can, yeah. we, can we go run up on them, see if they want to be on our show? Well, unsurprisingly, there was some pushback after this article was published. But uh, Wait, When was this? 2016. 2016? Yeah. Okay. We are looking at downtown Brooklyn, and I'm seeing a lot of um, high rises, residential high-rises um, uh, in the evening that don't have their lights on. <laughs> and I am definitely in the mood to just get a BB gun and see how strong those windows are. <laughs> Um, but yes, I do. We'll, we'll cut that. We'll cut that. I do like that she is encouraging landlords to find their truth. <laughs> she can't help them with lies, but you know what? Self self actualization. She just wants them to be brave. Very important when uh, putting fraudulent demolition notices out to your tenants. <laughs> Yeah, well, have you thought about moving to the most dangerous part of New Jersey <laughs> so that I can get some guy with a beard and a podcast in here? <laughs> one 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 weird trick to inflate DSA's membership <laughs> by four times. <laughs> um but so moving on to kind of A&E real estate and I'm going to truncate the biography of uh John Arilaga Sr. uh because Maybe we'll circle back to him on a future episode. What but, a cruel irony. Yes. Um, but so Mr. A&E gets a truncated biography. 
Well, he's the father. And so essentially there was a Fortune article in 2014 called The Secret of Billionaire Who Built Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. So essentially the broad strokes of the story are that he was like a uh, a high school basketball player. And he grew up in Los Angeles in kind of a middle class family. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, just from the Fortune article, he... Uh, Played for the San Francisco Warriors, the precursor to the Golden State Warriors. Mm -hmm. He quit the Warriors after just six weeks, mm -hmm. not because he couldn't cut it on the court, but because he couldn't countenance the way some of his married teammates behaved. My wife. <laughs> Frivolously sleeping with groupies. And um, what a heart of soul. <laughs> we, we we talk a lot about um, you know kind that's, of the that's that's why I had to leave the NBA too. <laughs> We, we talk a lot about uh, the advantages that um, billionaires have had, uh, but we really haven't mentioned the uh, advantages that the uh, white ones who played in the NBA had <laughs> in the 1960s. Um, but yeah, he got a BA in geography in 1960s. Oh, and just like one fascinating thing, um, his uh, daughter-in-law, or no, his daughter, Laura. Uh, My she, wife. Yeah, he has a daughter named Laura, and uh, she said, quote, other people were compromising values that he held so dearly, unquote. Laura is actually married to, to Andre Sen, who's uh, one of the co-inventors of um, Netscape, who's a billionaire future episode. Oh, Netscape Navigator? Yes. But um, I just found it fascinating. His daughter, Laura, published a uh, book in 2011 on philanthropy called Giving 2.0. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, yes. Laura. I like that she made it to giving 2.0, but her husband's browser didn't make it to web 2.0. <laughs> the 2.0 was the percentage of their income they give. <laughs> uh, but so, yes. Uh, and essentially, like, uh, what happens is he's working as a commercial, as a broker for a commercial real estate firm. But in the early 60s, he meets a guy named Richard Peary. And Richard Peary's uncle, uh, no, Richard Peary's father had a large real estate portfolio. So essentially, like, I kind of like the way real estate billionaires work, where essentially it's somebody's father or uncle is already a real estate billionaire right, all the right. way down. Mm -hmm. Like, you just go back long enough, and eventually you get to, like, the fucking uh, Plymouth Rock <laughs> people uh, or, you know, uh, the Homesteading Act or whatever the case may be. just get to the Mycenaeans. Yes. But, uh, but essentially, the way he becomes a billionaire is he meets uh, a guy who has a father who's like a very wealthy real estate guy, and they come up with, in the 60s, they buy up a bunch of property in Central Valley, which at this point is like orchards and uh, uh, agriculture, and it's the 60s, the semiconductors are just being invented, oh, suddenly it becomes Silicon Valley. So Nanotainer. Yes. Essentially. That's how he became a billionaire, is uh, <laughs> they bought up a bunch of real estate in... Um, in what would become Silicon Valley. And then uh, by uh, luck and good fortune, uh, the entire computer industry popped up there because, you know, California needed more office space. Of course. Yeah. So that's how he becomes a billionaire. And then we move on to John um, Arelaga Jr., um, who's uh, just from, this, uh, from the real deal. He's a Northern California native, and he continues to serve as a principal at his father's Palo Alto-based office development firm. He previously worked at private equity firm Apollo Real Estate Advisors, now called Area Property Partners. Uh, the later firm aggressively bought rent-stabilized multifamily buildings in Manhattan <laughs> and the outer oh. boroughs during the mid-2000s boom, but took a hit following the downturn. And when we say um, mid-2000s boom, uh, you remember the uh, tactics she was talking about landlords not using anymore? <laughs> <laughs> they were using them during the mid-2000s boom. Um, but so 
the story of uh, A&E Real Estate is this guy's son, John Jr., meets Douglas Eisenberg, who's the son of another real estate guy, a guy named Philip Eisenberg. And um, They related to Jesse Eisenberg? <laughs> yes. You know what isn't cool? Yeah. Real estate. You know what is cool? Real estate law. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Thanks, man. All right, so uh, Douglas Eisenberg is the son of Philip Eisenberg, and Philip Eisenberg uh, was a principal at uh, Urban American Real Estate, which um, a guy in 2011 actually founded a WordPress blog documenting it, how it is the worst landlord in New York City. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to that in just one second, but essentially Douglas Eisenberg, uh, who's the co-owner with John Ariglia Jr., Arilaga Jr. They're the co-owners of A&E Real Estate, now approximately the fifth largest landlord in New York City. Um, Douglas Eisenberg grew up with uh, 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 on the Upper East Side in the 1980s. His dad was, uh, this is from a The Real Deal profile. His dad was a real estate lawyer. His mother headed a summer tennis camp. Eisenberg attended the Trinity School, an elite private school. He graduated from Cornell in 1993. And then he worked for Mayor David Dinkins. What? <laughs> 1993. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Sorry. Um, he worked for Democratic Mayor David Dinkins, but he left Democratic politics behind in 1996 and went to Brooklyn Law School. Focus on oligarchic politics. <laughs> <laughs> He, he felt their betrayals of the working class were too small scale. <laughs> he wanted to take direct action. Um, but so his father practiced real estate law for 14 years before buying buildings himself. Eisenberg jumped immediately right into the investment game um, after previously working for his father's firm. And so Urban American Management, in 1997, it was set up by his father, Philip Eisenberg, and it buys uh, about 1,000 properties in uh, Hudson County and then kind of spreads throughout New York. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to go through the, a little bit of this guy's blog. It's nyctenantadvocate.wordpress.com. He stopped posting in 2011, but he was essentially a tenant, an anonymous tenant in one of these urban American buildings. Mm -hmm. And uh, he documented uh, essentially lots of cases of black mold, lack, in, lack of heat and hot water, um, a review. Essentially, he just looked through the different reviews yeah, right, people left for right. Urban American. Uh, one of them was about how they didn't fix the toilet for them for a month, and the tenant had to defecate in a plastic bag. Wow. <laughs> they didn't uh, have a balcony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, buildings overrun with mice, bed bugs, and roaches, hallways that reek of urine, massive uh, uh, rent jumps. Uh, All right. Okay. Okay. Good. You know tenant harassment, including threatening phone calls, stealing yeah. the tenant's mail, just all sorts of shit. And um, it, it was interesting where essentially what this guy who ran the website did was Bill de Blasio, the current mayor, was then the public advocate for New York. Mm -hmm. He docu he they had they have the worst landlords in New York list, but it, which is just whoever mm -hmm. has the most HPD violations or whatever. Yeah. But it's kind of like um, their methodology is not quite right. The, like the warts violations, the cancer violations. <laughs> um, I've been to that list. Yeah. Like there's some that are, it's like it's in the tens of thousands. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. But so essentially, according to um, the, the anonymous man who wrote, the, or person who wrote this blog. Uh, Thank you. Josh, Josh <laughs> Eisenberg was listed as number 85th in all boroughs, but he's only listed as owning one building. <laughs> so essentially, he went through at the time and found that Urban American owned like 80 or 90 buildings. And uh, 
He says, after tallying up all of the addresses in Excel, I came up with a grand total of violations for all buildings listed, 4,066. In comparison, the current, quote, worst landlord in New York City has 2,047 violations. <laughs> and, you know, when oh, we... Oh, so he's like, he's one of those guys hiding everything in shell companies. Yes. Okay. You know, I mean... And so, essentially, these uh, housing preservation development uh, violations, they'll have, like, class A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And, like, class C is immediately hazardous, such as inadequate fire exits, rodents, lead-based paint, <laughs> lack of heat, hot water, electricity, or gas. You're supposed to have 24 hours to correct a class C. Standing puddles of acid. <laughs> <laughs> and so, in 2011, he found 737 class C violations. Active killer. No, 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 no. <laughs> Unknown gunman. No one's still. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, one's active dull. shooter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not a flooded basement. It's an indoor moat. <laughs> well, there's your problem. It's like on B leakage. <laughs> the leakage. Why was it there? <laughs> Massive allied firebombing at the building. <laughs> Some sort of <laughs> atomic weapon has been yeah. detonated. Minor nuclear <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> Massive nuclear meltdown. There were so many fucking Class C violations at Chernobyl, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he also found two Class. Yeah, but now it's now it's pretty. Um, it's it's a pretty happening area, like <laughs> Chernobyl. Yeah, you ever you ever been to Pripyat? Like there is there? it gentrifying. You know, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm just imagining the fucking 2030 real estate lawyer who's going to be like, r- nuclear meltdown wow. <laughs> is how we detent it. <laughs> yeah. like, if, you read, if you read the rent laws closely, there's actually nowhere where it says you can't. <laughs> so nothing- You can't tell people there's a nuclear leak and then they leave. And then actually you say there was no leak at all. Right, right. Uh, yeah, they're like you can uh, actually evict people um, by telling them that there's a meltdown in their building, but you don't actually have to have a meltdown. Of course, why would you have to? But you can if you want. Uh. So in the rent laws, if people leave because there's a declared state of emergency, <laughs> it really doesn't specify if they get their rent stabilized units back. <laughs> so if you could participate some sort of nuclear conflict between various <laughs> world powers, um. But so all of that is to say, oh, yeah, he also found two Class I violations. And a Class I violation is someone takes the landlord. 9-11 part two. <laughs> someone takes the landlord to court and says, the judge says, hey, this is a hazard. You have to fix it right now. And they're still open. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that, you know, and I, I really do encourage people to look at this blog. Uh, Urban American still owns about 6,000 rental units. But the point of all that was, you know, Douglas Eisenberg worked for this company. Uh, This was his father's company. And, you know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, So essentially, he, in 2011, branches out to start his own company, A&E Real Estate. So Douglas Eisenberg, the son, goes into business with uh, John Jr. I want to say I'm so glad that there's not a big mob mob presence in uh, New York City these days. (laughs) Maybe we'll get to it on the next episode, but, uh, you know, construction unions, I really do think need to team up with the mob again, (laughs) because I think luxury property developers have gotten a little too pushy. (laughs) All right. So moving along, A&E, they get this deal in 2015 to buy Harlem's Riverton complex. This is from DNA Info. 
Um, and they, they're supposed to agree to keep its 1,000 units of affordable housing over the next 30 years. In exchange, they get about $100 million of tax breaks and incentives from the city. Um, but uh, DNA Info reports that A&E was also responsible for more than 2,230 eviction cases between January 2013 and June 2015, according to an, an analysis by RentLogic, which makes them the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, largest eviction uh, landlord in the city in that time period. Um, and essentially, uh, it just kind of goes through all the different uh, uh, bags of tricks they use to evict tenants and, and these sorts of things. But I wanted to kind of go through just, uh, there was another case where uh, they did what's called um, individual apartment, or they were alleged to have done individual apartment improvement fraud. And there's so many different things that you can get bogged down in with kind of the complications in New York rent stabilization law. But one of them is if you make major capital improvements or individual apartment improvements, you're allowed to like bring those buildings up to market as long as you spend X. But so there's this uh, very interesting article in Cranes, New York, which kind of goes through, according to these documents they looked at, um, A&E. Uh, real estate for their renovations seems to, uh, quoting from them, they seem to exclusively use JW Development Group Holdings for renovation work. Um, City records show JW Development is controlled by Mark Erickson, whose LinkedIn profile identifies him as a senior construction manager at A&E Real Estate. (laughs) The firm is being sued by tenants in another class action case that accuses it of faking or inflating IAIs to push up regulated rents. So right. essentially what's happening there is A&E owns this construction company and they're like, hey, go do improvements at our apartments and then send us an invite, right, invoice. Right. And it's like, oh, big surprise. The invoices might just be hugely inflated because that's another way that yeah. they can jack up yeah. rent. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your dick. Right. Yeah, who I think's behind this? Mm-hmm. The Washington Generals. <laughs> And, you know, so these various articles just kind of go through different cases, like uh, billing $3,500 for a bathtub that was never installed and these various, you know, uh, laws. There is actually right now a class action lawsuit ongoing against A&E. Oh, there's a lawsuit ongoing against A&E that's seeking class action status. Um, so we'll, we'll see with, uh, with anything shakes out with that. From tenants? Who's, who's doing the lawsuit? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. There are uh, dozens of tenants, I believe at least 60 have um, uh, filed lawsuit against them. Yeah. Andy, uh, you and I are paying higher rent because they fixed the elevator <laughs> at our building. Oh, yeah, yeah. They raised the rent because... they had, Well, the elevator... The are, legally uh, mandated elevator for a more than five-story building <laughs> was not working, and they had to replace it on the order of a judge. Yeah, so our... Uh, Andy and I live together. Yeah, I don't know if we huh. can, if it's a good idea to let it on on the pod. Whatever, yeah. it's up to y'all. Take that again. I think we got to let them know because you know Sean and I used to live together, and people mm-hmm. were probably yeah. like, "What happened to that?" <laughs> Andy and I lived together, and our landlord um, was forced by the court to re- replace, repair, or replace the elevator for yeah. a five-story building, mm-hmm. and they did that, and they applied for an MCI rent increase, and they oh. got it. Wow. Actually, this was connect- it's actually relevant to the rent control stuff because of um, all of these landlords are being advised to get all of their MCI rent increase applications in yeah. before the law is, right. is expanded because right. they're, they're assuming that the Senate will prevail and 
interesting interesting thing about um our elevator that um you know it, it wasn't necessary the judge didn't demand this but it actually it doubles as a urinal <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, when I lived with Andy, I moved out because sometimes he would bring girls home, and then from the next room, I would just hear, suck it to me. (laughs) (laughs) He was playing drops while he was hooking up with people. Is there a mirror in your elevator? Yeah. Yeah, okay. (laughs) My old building didn't have one. Apparently, you're supposed to have a mirror. Yeah, on legal grounds, I could have sued because of this... Elevators are legally required to have mirrors in them. I don't know exactly really? why. Yeah, so like in the building that I got kicked out of, I was looking at a whole bunch of real estate law, and one of them was this notion because my previous building, the elevator didn't have a mirror in it, and I was gonna be like, "Well, I'm, it looks like I'm suing you for this elevator nonsense. <laughs> You're gonna kick me out." I think I w- that would have gotten me to stay. I think I think they would have been like. This guy's want to sue us over a mirror. I mean, we have a, it's a tiny mirror in the corner of the elevator, but yeah. I guess, you know, people have to be able to watch themselves still, pee. Still technically counts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's Is that why? Oh, that's why they have them. Yeah. yeah. In case you need to pee. It's, it's so a bathroom mirror. So you can look at yourself and mm-hmm. yeah, enjoy that. Other times when Andy brought a girl home, there, you know, the noises would stop and then there'd be a period of silence and then I'd hear, all right, okay. <laughs> You have live drop. You have live <laughs> drops when you when you bang. And then, and then when he would or- bazinga, <laughs> when he would orgasm, it'd be like www.blowme.com. <laughs> That's the story of the time Andy got hot grease thrown on him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to meme in real life is dangerous. Um, but I guess just like two things to close out with AE and, uh, you know, then we'll kind of continue this discussion, uh, on our Patreon episode talking about, um, uh, Ooh, Stephen Ross. The fancy stuff. Uh, but so A&E, uh, just it's a qu- freeway, Stephen Ross. <laughs> yes. According to this, um, uh, according to the real deal, uh, this class action lawsuit includes dozens of tenants, a current and former in 22 different buildings owned by A&E real estate. They're seeking class action status, but apparently the lawyers who filed it filed a different lawsuit against a different developer, which as of March 2019 was granted class action status. So it looks good, like it, it might actually work. But uh, these dozens of current and former tenants... Um, claims that uh, A&E, uh, just from the real deal, A&E regularly misrepresented the costs of improvements to apartments, which allowed the company to raise rents, remove rent-stabilized apartments from the rolls, and charge market rate rents. I like uh, the reasoning for it looking good. It's like, yeah, these aren't shitty lawyers. <laughs> uh, in one case, uh, from the real deal, in one case, A&E charged a tenant in a rent-stabilized apartment at 344 Fort Washington Avenue, more than double what the previous tenant paid, the lawsuit states. The landlord would have had to have performed $89,000 worth worth of improvements on the apartment to justify the increase, and they claim no such improvements were made. And, you know, we mentioned they're receiving about $100 million worth of tax breaks and incentives from the city for uh, buying the apartments in Harlem's Riverton Yard. And, uh, you know... There's a uh, New York Daily... One other thing I wanted to mention is there's a New York Daily News article from 2014 which talks about rents at 217 Haven Avenue, Mm -hmm. which is an apartment in Harlem. um, Or no, Washington Heights, excuse me. uh, And they just quote one tenant... Uh, she says, quote, they are evil, unquote. <laughs> uh, Magda Sheridan is 40. She's holding a copy, uh, according to the New York Daily News, she's holding a copy of a newly issued lease that states that her family's two-bedroom home will now cost $4,035 wow. instead of the previous $2,095. Fucking leeches. Yeah. Uh, 
And yet, yeah, according to the New York Post, uh, some tenants griped that they were facing increases between 30 and nearly 100 percent. Um, and, and this building is protected by the J-51 tax abatement, which is, there, there's an alphabet soup of different tax abatements with New York City and state, but all of these are, they have to protect some rent-stabilized tenants, but if they're able to drive the rent-stabilized tenants up, they can jack the rent up by like 20%. If they do these improvements, if they, you know, do construction nearby or just do something or they're slow to repair shit or just do whatever to get the tenants out. So it's a horrifying business model. And mind you, they're willing to raise the rates up to a point that nobody could afford because they'll take the hit in the current moment to get the money back in a few years once they kick out all mm-hmm. the tenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they may even raise it above what they could get from the tenants they hope to attract. Right, exactly. And that's where it's like... <laughs> it's still more probable. You know, yeah, it's they literally are making it unlivable because it's fucking... The, to, the, the amount of greed that these individuals have to fucking make a city unlivable for anyone that's making you know a minimum wage if not fucking three times minimum wage you can't nobody can afford these rates except rich individuals who are holding their money in these properties for the future i mean it's fucking Mm -hmm. lunacy here rich people are buying places to not live in because it's cheaper to do that than to have your money in the bank potentially if you could make more money in the future i mean like the fucking eight layers of chess and you know goddamn jujitsu here yeah. Jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Just want to get that clear here. There's a, a lot going on in mm-hmm. there. Oh, yeah. Only in bed stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Do or die. Yeah. Um, and I guess one last thing. This is about Urban American, is uh, the other, his father's real estate company. But there's an article in the... Taekwondo. Yeah, Amer- there it is. Yeah. yeah, he gets it. Sorry. He's picking it up. Uh, much, much better food in that neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, this is about urban American management, um, the, uh, and this just kind of ties into the general investment thing, because we've kind of made this point here. But essentially, uh, private equity, we've been a running theme on this podcast and other investments, will make these massive, leverage, hugely leveraged overpays for buildings that have rent-stabilized tenants. And then, of course, uh, Stephen, you were saying to us that a lot of these investments will actually factor in the lawsuit cost. Because these investments, yep. there's no way they can actually be profitable if the rent stabilization tenants in the building stay rent stabilized. That's right. A lot of the companies involved in this ha- end up having like very to take out very expensive insurance, like legal liability insurance plans, right. wow. just to deal with this. So it's it's sad. Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> it's a tragedy. It's <laughs> just like trying to figure out the insurance actuary tables on like poisoning people with lead. <laughs> Um, but so uh, this is an American Prospect article, I believe from 2007, but it deals with Urban American, which is uh, his father's company. Um, it talks about this building on uh, Harlem's 125th Street. Uh, it's like four different, uh, up, yeah. In 2007, they buy this building called The Miles. And uh, just uh, an interesting thing that's going on here, because obviously there's rent-stabilized tenants. According to American Prospect, Urban American paid nearly $1 billion for more than 4,000 apartments, about 232000 each, uh, and that's triple their price two years ago. And this is like right before the market crash, 2008. Hmm. So essentially, it's like, uh, you know, if you're tripling their price in two years, very hmm. clearly something shady is going on. Um, but what I found interesting was the New York City's pension funds have a one, had a $150 million stake in this. So something you will find with these really horrible real estate buyouts is that um, 
pension funds and uh, worker retirement does get pushed into mm -hmm. essentially destroying the lives of workers uh, in uh, the city. Yep. And uh, just from the uh, American prospect, uh, an increase uh, the building the miles, an increasing number of apartments in the miles with skyline views and a sixteen hundred a month price tag price tags are vacant. Most of the remaining tenants are old-timers who rely on federal rent aid. The windows, original to the building, bring in energy-sucking drafts, but Urban American won't replace them. <laughs> a former community room now serves as storage for appliances, and the hall outside smells of urine. Tenants buy their own bathroom fixtures at Home Depot because of the standard issues don't work. A fire last year killed an autistic team. Wow. The it, quote, the issue is not that they're incompetent slumlords, says Benjamin Dol Chin, executive director of the Association for Neighborhood and Housing Development. These are the most sophisticated managers in New York City real estate, and it's their sophistication that makes them dangerous. Mm. And so it's just something where it's like, you know, you might think that neglect or, um, uh, or incompetence is behind a lot of the fact that many New York City buildings are <laughs> run down, but it's no. This is a very systematic investment strategy by some of the smartest wa minds on Wall Street figuring out how to displace people, how to drive up that $89,000 homeless number and make themselves a profit yep. on the backs of fucking people who have no place to stay and, and nothing they can do about it. Right. Yeah. So, you know, watch the New York State Legislature and hopefully uh, some of these bills are, are able to pass. And, you know, I don't know. If you live here, call your state assemblyman or don't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> or just or the, actually the, do though the ever <laughs> optimistic do. Sean McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hopefully, all nine of them yeah. pass. But yeah, call your state senator, call your assembly person, or just like uh, if you could start some sort of fire in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you can't do any of those things though, discharge a weapon in the middle of your neighborhood at night to drop home <laughs> values. Yeah, it yeah, works. It, those are heroes. Whoever's doing that near where I live, thank you. If you see sort of... Oh, wait, people are starting fires at midnight? No, no, no. People are... Uh, uh, sh um. Discharging firearms. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's some hero in our neighborhood. Nice. Yeah. yeah. The Second Amendment lives for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or her. Like, yeah, big fan. That's right. If you see some sort of unoccupied dumpster and you know a landlord you'd like to put into it, <laughs> <laughs> nobody talks about the vacancy rate for dead landlord bodies in New York City dumpsters, but I think this is a crisis. Well, what people don't talk about is the rent of the dumpster, 1500 a month. So <laughs> he was left there, but he paid for it. That's a, you know that's a 420A <laughs> abatement, tax abatement. Did you know that there are three vacant dumpsters for every landlord in New York, people? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Russian money. <laughs> All right, uh, anything else? And with that, this has been Grubstakers. I'm Yogi Pollywell. Hey, man, who's that cat coming down the street? I don't know, but it sounds to me like that wicked man with the bone. Still having himself a ball. <laughs> Steve Jeffers. <laughs> Andy Palmer. Uh, I'm Sean McCarthy. Thanks to our patrons. You uh, allow us to do what we do. We're going to continue this discussion with Stephen Ross and Hudson Yards development on the Patreon side. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.